Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment. Your time to shine. Your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? So last year, ClickHole did this ridiculous article that I just found so funny, like I do many of their articles, but the title of it was Security Failure. EpiPen's database of everyone who's allergic to bees has been obtained by bees. Here's a line from the (laughs) article. So it was this prepared statement from the company's website, the EpiPen company website, and it says, we do not know what they plan to do with it, but we can confirm that bees have a list of everyone who has ever purchased an EpiPen. Bees have your information now. We are very sorry. (laughs) You know what's strange is my dad has a severe allergy to fire ants. And we only realized this when he was in his 40s. We were in Florida visiting Disney World and uh, Cypress Gardens. And this is when we were kids. He got bitten and then rushed away. Like my mom said, his face swelled up like Martin Short in pure luck which is just such a dated reference. (laughs) But that's what she always brings up when we talk about this. (laughs) It is a pretty dated reference, but it was also a pretty funny and ridiculous scene. But back to your dad, like, I I assume he was okay? Yeah, I mean, my dad being my dad, he just played it down the whole time. And it actually ended up being a strangely wonderful day for us because while my parents were at the hospital, my aunt and uncle were with us and we somehow got to pet a baby white tiger. Like, one of the uh, people at Cypress Gardens let us do this. So in my memory, the tiger cub plays a much, much larger role in the day than my dad's not being there. Yeah, you were obviously really concerned about your dad. <laughs> just sweet a of great you. son. <laughs> but, you know, now my dad just carries his EpiPen with him everywhere, which is a literal lifesaver. Well, I know we both suffer from allergies, at least to some degree. And, you know, with the pollen count as high as it's been... Today felt like a good time to do a show on what allergies actually are and and think about how close we are to finding a cure for different types of allergies. And also, of course, answering the question, is putting Vaseline up your nose a good life hack for stopping pollen? (laughs) So let's dive in.
Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hot Ticketer. And on the other side of the soundproof glass, keeping his allergies at bay by brushing his teeth, of all things. That's our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. Now, Manga, I'll admit, I, I thought Tristan had lost his mind yet again when he told us that <laughs> he'd started treating his allergies with toothpaste. But in doing our reading for this week, it, it turns out it's a legitimate treatment. And Mango, you can back me up on this, right? Yeah, it's a real thing. It's called Allerdent, and it basically works the same way as typical allergy shots where you, you know, inject a tiny amount of an allergen as a way to get your body used to it. Except in this case, the allergen extract is mixed into your toothpaste instead of loaded into a needle. And it is just such a remarkable idea. You know, I have allergies. I often forget to take my medication, but I don't forget to brush my teeth. And it seems like a simple solution. Plus, it feels way less daunting than going in for like an expensive shot every single week. Oh, definitely. I mean, the only downside right now is that it can be pretty tough to get your hands on the toothpaste at the current moment. And and that's because even though allergen extracts are FDA approved, it's only approved for shots right now. But my guess is it won't be too long before the toothpaste will be pretty easy to access. But mm-hmm. you know, as we shift from one allergy season to another, we thought it might be a good time to take a closer look at the world of allergies. That's right. So we're going to explore some unusual ways to keep allergies in check, as well as the science behind what causes them and even the history of why we get them in the first place. But why don't we start with what allergies actually are, since we tend to throw around the term pretty loosely. Like, often you'll hear people say they're allergic to something when, you know, they might have some kind of intolerance, but not an actual allergy. Yeah, like somebody might be lactose intolerant, but that's not the same thing as being allergic to milk or They might have a sensitivity to gluten, but eating bread doesn't, you know, make them break out in hives or anything. But let's talk about what the actual distinction is. And and first of all, like what makes an allergy an allergy? So the term was coined in 1906 by a pediatrician in Vienna, and he came up with it by joining the words for different and reaction. And the idea was basically if someone is allergic to pollen or whatever, they're having a different or unusual reaction to something considered harmless. Mm -hmm. But The thing that really defines allergies is their underlying cause. And the reason we have such extreme reactions to these otherwise harmless substances is because of a hypersensitive immune system. So rather than targeting genuine threats like a virus, the immune system misidentifies something safe as dangerous. And in the process, our our body takes these defensive measures to try and expel the irritant as fast as possible. That's why you get like a runny nose or you start sneezing because it's trying to get the stuff out. And that's what we associate with allergies. Yeah. But if you want to get a little more scientific about it, these symptoms are the result of a chemical called histamine. And when allergenic materials bind to antibodies in the blood, the blood responds by releasing tons and tons of histamine. The histamine then attaches itself to cells in the nose and sinuses. It causes all the blood vessels to expand and it sends the mucus production into overdrive. Which is why we take antihistamines. You know, it's obviously one of those terms I think we've always heard and we've known to take these things, but not really thought about what that actually mean. So anyway, I get the general sense of what allergies are, but is a peanut allergy the same thing as a pollen allergy, but just like we're reacting to different substances or or what is it exactly? Yeah. So it kind of helps to know that most allergies break down into two different groups. And the first is called allergic rhinitis, or this is hay fever. And this category includes what we call seasonal allergies. So things like pollen, mold spores, the stuff that crops up in the spring and summer. And it also includes perennial allergies that bug people all year, like dust mites, cockroaches, and pet dander. 
All right, so this is what most people think of when they think about allergies, like the kind of thing that makes you sneeze and itch and, and it, feel yeah. congestion or, or even be lethargic, I guess. Exactly. But things get more serious with the second type of allergy, which are those brought on by food and also like animal venom, uh, medications, even contact with uh, materials like latex. And in these cases, the body is still responding to an irritant by pumping out the histamines, but it's at a completely different pace. It's doing this way, way more aggressively, so much so that uh, when someone with an allergy eats shellfish or gets stung by a bee, they just skip that itchy eye phase we know about, and it goes straight into anaphylaxis. And mm -hmm. that's the severe situation where your airways close up, you swell, your uh, throat and tongue sort of swell as well, and your blood pressure tends to drop. All right, so the process is more or less the same for all kinds of allergies. It's just that some prompt more extreme reactions than others. Right, and the thing to remember is in either case, it isn't the allergen that's attacking your body. It's actually your immune system overreacting. And even though we understand how the process works, we don't really know how people develop allergies in the first place. I mean, something is causing our immune system to lose it, but we still aren't sure what that is. Yeah, that's true. But we do have a couple of promising leads on this. I mean, for one thing, we know that our genetics play a factor in whether or not we develop allergies. Actually, I was looking at this series of twin studies that examined both fraternal and identical twins, and the results were really interesting. So first, you take fraternal twins, and when one of them has a peanut allergy, the rate of the other having a peanut allergy as well was actually only about 7%. But you look at identical twins who share the same genes, both twins were allergic in 64% of cases. So it's a pretty significant difference. Huh. I mean, th there's actually another reason to think of genetics as the root of allergies, which is that the tendency to have allergies is actually something we inherit from our parents. So, you know, while that doesn't mean that, like, because your mom has a fish allergy, you're definitely going to have a fish allergy. It, it just means that, you know, you have a higher chance of developing an allergy to something. Huh. Well, I mean, there's obviously something there, but genetics aren't the only factor in who does or doesn't get allergies. And another big one, not surprisingly, is the environment. After all, if you aren't exposed to a particular allergen, there's no way to develop an allergy to it. Like, you know, take somebody who lives in the desert. I mean, they're not likely to have a pollen allergy since there isn't much plant life and pollen to even be exposed to there. Yeah, I mean, the environmental component is interesting because it sort of works both ways. Like, uh, the flip side is that being exposed to common allergens can also reduce your chances of developing an allergy to them. And the key here is really being exposed at an early enough age. Like, we've talked about this before, but a few recent studies have shown that children who grew up on a farm are less likely to develop allergies than kids who grew up in cities. Well, and that's because the farm kids were exposed to more allergens early on, right? That's right. So a few years back, the Science Institute in Belgium found that exposure to farm dust actually helps build resistance to dust-based allergies. And this works because of a protective protein called A20 that's produced in the mucous membrane of the lungs. And when kids breathe in farm dust, their lungs produce more A20, and this reduces their allergic reaction to other kinds of dust. But like I said, the trick is that this kind of resistance is only built up while the lungs are still developing. So I mean, if you're like an adult who's allergic to dust mites, it's a little too late to solve that problem by going out and becoming a farmer now. Oh, man, well, I guess I'll, uh, I'll cross that one off the list. But, you know, it, it's interesting how much of an impact age has on allergies. Like, 
I was reading how adults tend to have fewer allergies than children do, especially when it comes to food allergies. And, and it's far fewer allergies, actually. But according to the Food Allergy Research and Education Organization, one in 13 kids in the U.S. has at least one food allergy. But over a quarter of those kids will outgrow the food allergies before they even reach adulthood. And research shows that the earlier a child has an allergic reaction to food, the more likely they are to outgrow it. Which is why, you know, the consensus has actually shifted in recent years about how soon babies should be given allergenic foods, things like eggs or peanuts. And, mm -hmm. you know, we used to think it was dangerous to feed infants these foods until they were at least a year old. And this, you know, hasn't been that long ago. I know even when our oldest child was an infant, they were telling us this. But, you know, now a bunch of studies have proven that giving babies these foods when they're four to six months old actually reduces the risk of developing allergies by as much as, I think, like 80%. Oh, wow. And the author of the report puts it this way. You have the potential to stop something in its tracks before it develops. There's a window of time in which the body is more likely to tolerate a food than react to it. And if you can educate the body during that window, you're at a much lower likelihood of developing an allergy to that food. Which makes a lot of sense. And it also explains why some people continue to develop allergies well into adulthood. And I, I guess that's because that's the time when most of us are making big life changes. You know, you're moving somewhere new, getting a pet, perhaps uh, living on the edge and trying shellfish for the first time. It's starting to get wild at that time, you know. <laughs> but, you know, the thing I don't get is why the world's allergies seem to be getting worse. You know, we've been reading a lot about this and these food allergists at Mount Sinai who've spent the last couple of decades tracking peanut allergies among children. And when they started, this was back in 1997, they found that one in 250 American children were allergic to peanuts. Now, you fast forward to 2010, and that number has jumped to one in 70. So that rate tripled in just 13 years. And while it's true that food allergies are often misdiagnosed, there's been a similar rise in peanut allergies in countries like Canada, Australia, the UK. And that's not even to mention, you know, the hay fever rise and asthma's on the rise in these, these same regions. So there's definitely something going on. Yeah, some of the specifics might be up for debate still, but there's no question that allergies have become a lot more prevalent in the last 30 years or so. I did some reading on why that might be, and one of the biggest contributing factors seems to be rising global temperatures. And I didn't want to believe this, but it actually makes sense when it was explained to me. You know, higher temperatures lead to more plant life, which leads to more pollen, and more pollen means more allergic reactions. And in fact, a recent study found that the spring pollen count has increased every year since the year 2000. And listen to these numbers. By the year 2040, there could be 20,000 grains of pollen per cubic meter compared to just 8,000 grains in the year 2000. Yikes, that's a, uh, that's a huge difference. All right, well, but global warming is only counting for the rhinitis cases, right? Not to mention the more serious ones. So what's causing the increase in, in things like food allergies or, or even like bee stings? Yeah, so those cases are a little tougher to account for, but the prevailing theory is that they're linked to our modern hygiene practices. And the idea is that our modern sterile lifestyles don't provide enough exposure to potential allergens, which in turn causes our immune systems to get bored, start lashing out at all the harmless stuff like food or cat dander or whatever else. And while it's likely that there are other factors behind the recent rise of allergies, the hygiene theory would explain why we mostly see this in uh, predominantly wealthy Western societies. In less developed countries, you know, if your child's immune system is struggling to deal with parasites from contaminated water, 
then the body isn't wasting time or resources warding off things like pollen. So if we go by the hygiene theory, you can more or less chalk the whole allergy epidemic up as basically first world problems. All right. So at this point, researchers have spent decades looking for a cure for allergies. And and the best option is still to just treat the symptoms rather than cure the actual cause. But you know, thankfully, we've got some pretty great options now, including some of the more outside-the-box approaches, and we should talk about those. But before we get to that, let's take a quick break. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ends? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the best ways to track and treat your pesky allergies. So... Well, one of the most effective and more obvious options for treating allergies is also one of the most basic, and that's plain old avoidance. And while that's pretty straightforward when it comes to food or latex allergies, since, you know, we generally have some say in what we eat and wear, it's not as easy to avoid things like pollen. And in those cases, you have to be a little more creative and a lot more vigilant. Yeah, when you think about pollen allergies, I mean, you really just want to minimize your exposure as much as you can. For example, pollen counts tend to peak between the hours of 5 and 10 in the morning. So if you can avoid the outdoors during that period, you know, you might spare yourself some of the sneezing. And weather obviously plays a big role as well in those pollen counts. You've got the warm and windier days being the worst and the cool and rainier days being the best in, in terms of the, the pollen counts. But it doesn't mean you have to stay inside on those nicest days and one quick tip for braving pollen-heavy weather is to dab a little bit of Vaseline inside your nostrils. And what happens there is that, you know, the pollen you inhale just gets stuck in there before it can reach your airways. Which is so weird. Like, so, someone actually told me to do that with ghee, which is uh, Indian clarified butter. 
and they promised it worked. And I refused to do it because it just sounded unbelievable. And now <laughs> I basically feel like I've got to try it. It's going to be walking around with some uh, some butter up your nose. And it's, it's kind of uh-huh. like our uh, our friend Sean in college whose grandmother had the cure for everything was just to like rub some butter on his neck. So maybe there's <laughs> something to this and we should just try these things. Well, Another simple move is to check the pollen forecast for your area during allergy season. And some people don't realize this, but there's actually a National Allergy Bureau, and it posts the current pollen and mold levels for different regions on its website. Yeah, so the Weather Channel does that as well. And uh, Google even pulls up that information automatically, like if you search for pollen or allergy information in the area. Um, You can also set push notifications on your phone so you'll always know when the pollen count starts to climb. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and it's definitely handy to have that. But I mean, let's be honest, not all of us have the option of staying inside whenever pollen is is causing big problems, nor you know, do we have the courage to face social situations with Vaseline smeared up our noses. And <laughs> you know, so in those cases, an allergy sufferer's best friend are the antihistamine medications that we talked about earlier. And you can obviously find those at your local drugstore. Now, the only problem is knowing which option to go with. Now, the good news is that there really isn't a huge difference between stuff like Benadryl or Zyrtec or Claritin. I mean, these are all antihistamines that work by binding to the histamine receptors in your nose and sinuses. So instead of histamines activating these receptors and making your nose run, the antihistamines muscle them out of the way and actually take their spots. Which is interesting. But, you know, what What about the um, nasal sprays? Like, is one more effective than the other in terms of pills for sprays? Actually, yeah. I mean, those nasal sprays contain uh, corticosteroids that ultimately help control symptoms better than their capsule counterparts. And that's because the sprays don't prevent histamines from binding to their receptors like the pills do. Instead, they actually prevent your cells from reacting to the allergen at all, which you know, it means there's no chance for them to even produce histamines in the first place. Now, the only downside to these is that these corticosteroids take longer to become effective. So those nasal sprays do work best, but only if you start taking them a couple weeks before the allergy season actually hits. That way, the steroids will have built up in your system, so they'll have an easier time controlling that immune response when allergens do crop up. So this is particularly fascinating to me because I am lazy about using the spray. Like I take it when I remember, but it's good to know that you sort of need to use it regularly to build up your tolerance. Yeah, and I was exactly the same way. But now a, a third way to treat allergies is also the closest thing we have to a cure for them, and that's immunotherapy. Now, the most common examples of this are the allergy shots we mentioned at the top of the show. And These work much like a vaccine would, but, you know, a a patient is basically injected with trace amounts of whatever they're allergic to, and gradually their body builds a tolerance to the substance until the allergic reaction is either severely reduced or even eliminated altogether. But of course, this approach also has its drawbacks. I mean, for one thing, the shots have to be administered every week. And not only is that time consuming, it can also be pretty expensive. And, you know, especially when you consider that this kind of treatment can go on for five years or even longer. Yeah, I mean, that's what makes that toothpaste so exciting, right? I mean, like, I love this idea that you might be able to treat your allergies with toothpaste and that someday we'll be taking sunscreen through pills instead of having to apply it badly. Like, it's amazing all these ways that we're going to be getting medicines. 
Yeah, and I've read a little bit about that, too, in terms of the sunscreen and pill form, and it's fascinating. But all right, well, let's go back to the toothpaste, Joe, just for a second, because I'm still a little bit unclear on how that works. Like, how do the allergens even make it into your bloodstream? So I I was wondering that, too. Like, it it must be less effective than a shot, right? But it turns out that the mouth is actually a perfect place to administer allergy meds. And that's because the mucous membrane in the mouth has such a high immune response level. It's trying to make sure that we don't do something stupid like drink a bunch of poison. And toothpaste isn't the only way to take advantage of this. So for years, Europeans have actually used this under-the-tongue allergy drop that works the same way. The biggest problem was that the drops can aggravate your throat or stomach if you accidentally swallow them. But thankfully, the toothpaste approach avoids those side effects altogether. Well, I'm definitely pulling for this toothpaste, and it just seems like such a hassle-free treatment, much more so than any others we've talked about. But, you know, for all the parents listening, there might actually be a fourth treatment option available, not to you, but to your kids. And, you know, you can think of these as preventive options or ones that wouldn't require you to just pick up and move to the farm belt. But, you know, for starters, there's a study out of the University of Alberta. So it was a 2017 report that they put out, and the researchers claimed that having a pet in the house could be a way to help prevent not only childhood allergies, but obesity as well. I mean, I I feel so guilty now because my kids have been asking for a dog for such a long time, and we've been slow rolling it. They actually actually tipped me off and and paid me a few bucks to mention this, just to kind of guilt you into the dog. So tell me, what, like, why is this the case? Like, we're, we're so used to hearing about people with pet allergies that it's hard to imagine how having one could lead to the opposite result. Well, apparently there are two types of bacteria in particular that have been linked to a lower risk of allergies and even obesity in babies. And the study showed that babies who lived with pets had way more of both types of these. Now, incredibly, these positive results held true even in households where pets had passed away before the baby was born. So you could have just gotten a really old dog like while Lizzie was pregnant and maybe that would have (laughs) solved everything. But that suggests that that health boost from these bacteria might even extend into the womb. So if it really comes down to just two bacteria, like could we ever just get some kind of pet in a pill one day? I mean, uh, you know, so you don't have to deal with any of the dog walking, but you get all the benefits of their dirtiness. I love that this is your solution when you're supposed to be the dog lover of the two of us. <laughs> I mean, I am. I, I, I'd love to have a dog, but, you know, we've got family that's allergic. I I do think our kids' biggest fear is that, like, now we're just going to end up with a fish and call it dog. So, so we fulfill the promise. <laughs> Good luck to see if that uh, that trick works. Well, here's one we don't want to encourage, but it is interesting to read about. And that's that kids who bite their nails and suck their thumbs actually reduce their risk of allergies in the future. This is research that comes out of New Zealand, and the researchers were looking at this long-running study on thumb-sucking and nail-biting behaviors in more than a 1,000 kids. And so the participants were quizzed on their habits at ages 5, 7, 9, 11, and then finally at 13. And at age 13, they were given their first skin prick test to measure their immune responses to different allergens. Now, according to the results from this, the kids that didn't engage in thumb sucking or nail biting had a 49% chance of developing allergies. Meanwhile, you look at the kids who either suck their thumbs or bit their nails, they actually only had a 40% risk. And what's more, the kids who did both actually had the lowest allergy risk of all the participants at 31%. 
Which is interesting, but it's also a pretty solid defense for that hygiene theory, right? Like, I, I mean, if there's a benefit to sticking your dirty hands in your mouth, it, it must have something to do with all those germs helping to strengthen your immune system. Oh, definitely. But again, these aren't exactly behaviors you want your kids to take up. So who knows how many people will actually reap the benefits from this. But, you know, if pet in a pill ever catches on, maybe there's hope for dirty fingernails in a pill, too. Who knows? <laughs> Well, I sure hope not, but uh, it, it, to me, it all sounds like those uh, terrible jelly bean flavors. That, oh, yeah, that, definitely. That you but, you know, th there is one way of dealing with allergies that I want to make sure we cover. But before we do that, let's take another quick break. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. Tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. All right, Mango, so what's this last way to avoid allergies that you wanted people to know about? It is super simple. Don't move to McAllen, Texas. Okay, all right. <laughs> so I don't have to become a farmer and I shouldn't move to McAllen, Texas. This is uh, uh, good advice. But all right, so why not McAllen, Texas? So it's just not a great place if you've got hay fever. And according to the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America, the AAFA, McAllen is the number one worst city in America for allergies. We can uh, we can forget the McAllen Tourism Bureau advertising on Part Time Genius <laughs> now at this point. All right, but I, I'm curious. So what is this based on exactly? Is it just the pollen count? So it's actually this annual ranking that the foundation does, and it's based on a few different factors. So pollen count is one of them, but it's also things like the usage rate of allergy medications, the um, number of allergy specialists in the area. And McAllen has showed up near the bottom of the list for a few years now. But in 2018, they finally scored a perfect 100 on this test. And wow. to put that in perspective, Louisville, Kentucky is in second place, and they only scored an 86.8. 
Holy cow. I mean, that does sound pretty bad. I mean, and mm -hmm. I know that the South in general can be pretty tough for allergy sufferers. I know moving to Atlanta has been a little bit rough on you with uh -huh. that. But, you know, honestly, you should be thankful you're not in the allergy capital of the world. And that is Islamabad, which is the capital of Pakistan. So I'd never heard this. Like, how bad is it there? It is horrible. I mean, the spring pollen season is so bad that many of the wealthier citizens just go to the countryside for a few months just to avoid it entirely. Huh. And then those who stay behind really try to stay indoors as much as they can. But even that is rough. There was one reporter who was speaking to a woman who actually slept upright in a chair throughout the allergy season because otherwise she explained she would just stop being able to breathe. That is awful. I mean... It does seem like a little backwards, though. Like, how do you wind up with a city that has more of a pollen count than the countryside around it? Well, it actually comes back to the city design and its bad design. So you go back to the 1960s. Islamabad was going through a period of enormous growth. And officials started looking for ways to add stretches of green space throughout the city. And this was really just to beautify the city. But unfortunately, they fell behind on this greenery project and the city remained pretty much treeless for the better part of a decade or so. Then years later, the city planners were trying to make up for this lost time, and they were looking to seed the entire city with these fast-growing paper mulberry trees. So all through the late 60s, you'd have helicopters flying over Islamabad, scattering these mulberry seeds. And to the planners' credit, the plan actually did technically work, and these trees grew quickly. They made the city look a whole lot prettier. But the trouble was that these paper mulberry trees took a little too well to their new home city. And so throughout the 70s, the trees came to dominate the landscape and really just started crowding out all the native plants that were there pretty much completely. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, I, I'm not that familiar with Pakistan, but I don't really know about uh, mulberry trees being that big a part of the landscape. Yeah, that's right. And they're actually listed as an invasive species in some U.S. states as well. So huh. honestly, no matter how you slice it, seeding a city with these things was a terrible idea. And you know, of course, the residents weren't expecting to deal with the pollen output of tens of thousands of mulberry trees. So, you know, city officials effectively doomed a huge chunk of the population to life with these seasonal allergies. In fact, the Pakistan Medical Research Council later found that about 45% of allergic patients in Islamabad were sensitive to the tree's pollen. And just to give you a sense of it, the city's record high pollen count is about four and a half times the records of most of the U.S. cities. I mean, that sounds miserable. <laughs> but, you know, one thing I'm realizing is that we've been pretty tough on allergies today. Like, we, we spent like 20 minutes talking about how terrible they are and how to rearrange your whole life to avoid them. But I came across this weird connection between allergies and parasites that kind of had me questioning whether there might be an upside to allergies. Uh, that seems like a, uh, a weird statement to say with two people <laughs> who have allergies, but do explain. Yeah, so think about this. Earlier, we mentioned that allergic reactions begin with an antibody overreacting to something harmless. And the antibody that overreacts in the case of most allergy attacks is also the same antibody that defends our bodies from mites and also helminths. All right. So just to clarify, helminths are things like flatworms and roundworms and flukes and, mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of infectious creatures that you definitely don't want in your bloodstream. But I think what you're saying is the same antibody that fights allergens also, for some reason, fights parasites? 
Yeah, so that's what's so strange to me. Like, like when researchers looked into it, they found that most of the proteins and the things that kick off allergies are also found in the bodies of these parasites. And that means allergies might just, you know, be an unfortunate side effect of our immune system's response to parasites. Because of those shared proteins, our bodies might not be able to tell the difference between the harmless dust or pollen and an infectious parasite. That's interesting. And I guess all told, hay fever isn't a terrible price to pay for the ability to fight off these parasites. But I'm curious, though, like, does that also include foods that people are commonly allergic to? It's a good question. As far as I could tell, it was mostly allergens that were related to hay fever and insect stings. But I did read one theory about how food allergens might tie into all of this. According to an immunobiologist at Yale, it might be that foods have proteins that remind the body not of parasites, but of toxic plants and other harmful substances. Okay, I see. So so just like with pollen and parasites, our bodies would recognize some foreign proteins and then mistakenly lump something like peanuts into that same category as, as say, nightshade or something, which you know is interesting to think about. And it, it doesn't make me any happier to have allergies, but I guess it does lessen the annoyance with them a little bit. But <laughs> I mean, if nothing else, it, it's nice to know that they serve some sort of purpose. Exactly. What do you say we switch gears and kick off the fact off? All right, let's do it. So this feels hard to believe, but I double-checked it. Apparently, Clint Eastwood is allergic to horses. (laughs) What? I just, uh, I can't accept that. That's too ridiculous. We should just stop now. All right, well, here's something interesting. Apparently, making out will reduce your allergies. And this research comes from a Dr. Kimada who oversees an allergy clinic in Osaka. And in this study, he took 60 subjects with hay fever, but who claimed not to kiss their partners on a regular basis. So he took half of them, put them in a room, piped in romantic music, and forced them to play seven minutes in heaven, but for 30 minutes. And (laughs) it had an impact because the allergy sufferers who made out showed a decreased reaction to dust mites and cedar pollen than those who didn't. I love the idea of the study where you're like collecting patients for it or subjects for it. And and you put like, do you have allergies? Check. Like, yep. Do you make out with your partner on a regular basis? No, that's not, not really. Me. <laughs> yeah. You're in. Now go make out. <laughs> Did you know that magnetic poetry is all thanks to allergies? No. Apparently, this guy who invented magnetic poetry was a songwriter and He was having writer's block, so he started cutting out lyrics from magazines and just words and started placing them around a table to, like, figure out new ways to write songs. And his girlfriend, who had allergies at the time, sneezed and blew everything away. So (laughs) the next time he attempted, he taped the words to these cut-up refrigerator magnets, and that's how this 90s trend was born. Oh, that's pretty great. So while it's no secret that people can be allergic to cats, you know, Bill Clinton, for instance, was allergic to socks, cats can also be allergic to people. According to Nat Geo, cats and dogs can both react badly to human dander, though the condition is treatable with the same things that we use, and that's shots and pills. Well, one thing that got some press recently was the Lone Star Tick, which apparently gets its name because it has a tiny Texas-shaped spot of white on its back. Huh. I don't know how, how you just see a splotch and think, oh, that's Texas, that's Texas. every time. <laughs> but the reason it got its notoriety is that one bite apparently makes people allergic to meat and specifically red meat. Apparently, there's a sugar molecule in red meat called alpha-gal for short. 
And according to Wired magazine, the allergy is particularly unusual because, quote, usually a mix of genes and environmental factors combine to create allergies. But when it comes to the Lone Star Tick, it doesn't matter if you're predisposed or not. Basically, anyone can be made allergic by a bite. Huh. Yeah, I had a cousin whose uh, whose son was dealing with this as well, and it was pretty significant. But there are times when I've wondered whether it was maybe a conspiracy cooked up by the veggie burger manufacturer. <laughs> so I'm looking into that. I'll let you know when I find out. But, that sounds uh, smart. All right. Well, here's a cool one. A French biotech company has come up with a peanut allergy patch. Now, it's not a cure, but the idea is that it gives you these micro doses of peanut protein to slowly build your tolerance so that, you know, if you accidentally touch a peanut, for example, you'll have a less severe reaction to it. That's really encouraging. So there's actually this new shot that could change our fight with allergies as well. It was developed at Northwestern and at the University of Michigan together. And and I read about this in Scientific American. But the injection basically sends the allergen into the system in this Trojan horse. It's this uh, nanoparticle that envelops the allergen. And uh, it goes to the liver and spleen where that casing dissolves. And when things go okay in the body, the immune system kind of learns from the experience and it realizes the allergen isn't actually harmful. It's amazing because it's actually worked on some nut allergies and the team is now experimenting with things like gluten allergies. So these are big life-changing things for people. Yeah. And I, I guess it might be a little while before they tackle my pollen allergy, my mild pollen allergy, but uh, I do love that they're making these sort of advances. You know, thinking about today between nanotechnology, 30-minute makeout sessions, you know, cramming Vaseline up your nostrils, you know, there are a lot of ways of dealing with allergies, <laughs> some more appealing than others. I liked a lot of your facts today, Mango, but the Clint Eastwood one, I- I'm still not recovered from that. So I feel like <laughs> you need to take today's fact off trophy. Yeah, me and the allergic horse I rode in on. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for listening today. As always, we love hearing facts from you, so please send those to us. We'd also just love to hear any funny stories you might have about your allergy experiences. But um, you can always send those facts and stories to parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com or hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. But thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Jerry Rowland does the exec producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eves Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Jason who? Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.